from last week. Paul is, uh, remember we're, are we on? Thanks Cheryl, I'm not sure if it's on. Yeah, remember that's our theme for this year and certainly that theme is captured in the book of, in the letter of Galatians. Paul wrote this letter as a letter to the church in Galatia, the, the churches in Galatia, it was like, a circular letter, one church would read it, the next church and pass it on, the next church would read it. And so he had a message for them because he was concerned for them. He was concerned for what I called the other week mission drift. They drifted away from the original mission, the original gospel that uh, Paul had preached to them and they'd responded to. And as a result of that, he received some attacks. He was under attack himself. His, uh, his authority was questioned. His, his walk with God was, was questioned. His... his um, he was challenged that his, his gospel was a gospel of compromise because he was going to the Gentiles and not just to the Jews. He was challenged that his was a gospel of immorality, that it was based on grace alone, let alone following the laws or the commands of the Old Testament. He was challenged that on his authority whether he was truly an apostle. We looked at that last week. As we look at the book of Galatians, I trust that, oh, there we are last week. I trust that we'll have a glimpse. You'll hear me interchange book and and letter because we actually have it as a book of the Bible. It was originally a letter to the churches. Uh, Those are the things that Paul was challenged on uh, and I trust that that as we look through this letter, God will speak to us about our own lives, about some of the things that we might have drifted slightly away from when we first put our faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And to understand this letter, I don't, anybody written a handwritten letter recently? No? Some people have typed a text on the phone or sent an email. Now, I don't know about you, but in this day and age, it seems to be that letters are shorter and shorter. You, know? you state the facts, bang, and the people who receive it can do what they like with it. But it wasn't like that when you used to write handwritten letters, certainly not in, the, in biblical days there had to be some process of that letter writing that they went through so that people would sit up and take notice to what they were writing. And Paul did that very clearly in this, in this uh, letter. He, the first two chapters were a biography about who he was and what authority he had, what right he had to tell them what he was going to tell them in the rest of the letter. So in the first couple of chapters, it's, it's Paul stating his case, as it were, that he was an authorised apostle of Jesus Christ and that they needed to remember that. They would have known that when he first came to visit them approximately 10 years before and now he was restating that. So he's virtually saying, sit up and take notice because what I've got to say is really important um, and uh, this is the reason why. Now we don't do that in emails or texts these days, do we? It's sort of like text from John or email from John and you just state the facts and that's it. And the next part was, he, in chapters 3 and 4, he talked about theology. He wanted to correct some issues. Some issues, some poor teaching that they'd been receiving from the Judaizers, those that were Christians, but they were, they were leaning strongly on the Jewish heritage rather on the, on the gospel for all. So he wanted to correct some of those misconceptions. And in the last two chapters of Galatians, he talks about, this is how you live it out. So, so, the biography, the first two chapters, this is who Paul was, his, his authority to write, the uh, teaching that he wanted to create and then this is how you lived out in the last couple of chapters. So that's where, that's where we're going over these next few weeks. Also when you read uh, this letter of Galatians and if you, if you, oh by the way, anybody been reading it through it over the weeks? You know, uh, Ten weeks we'll spend in Galatians, you know, 
It's only six chapters. You can read it once a week uh, just to get a feel of what Paul's writing. Uh, there's some words that will stick out to you if you're doing that. And if you have, happen to be someone who likes to go to commentaries and see what uh, the background to the Bible passages is, then these words will stick out to you. And some people call them terms, some people call them glossary. But these three words, justification, law and grace, will be there all the time in the book of Galatians. And what is justification? We need to keep this in the back of our mind because Paul's trying to ram this home. What is justification? It's declaring that a person is innocent of sin, that Christ died for their sin. That's what justification We're justified because of what Christ has done in our lives. The law that's referred to in Paul's letter is God's commands, predominantly the Old Testament Torah, you know, the first five books of the Bible. That's uh, predominantly what Paul will be referring to, plus the rest of the Old Testament, but predominantly that. And then God's grace. Paul talks about God's grace. And God's grace is that undeserved kindness, that uh, undeserved merit and favour that God shows to us. Because really, we were doing our own thing. Most people are doing their own thing, not going God's way, but still he showed us his love and grace by sending the Lord Jesus. So keep those things in mind as we're going through Galatians. They'll be some of the things that will come up fairly regularly in the sermons ahead. But one of the questions I want to ask you this morning Are we justified by God's grace or by the law? Think about that. Don't need any answers. Are we justified by God's grace? Are we made innocent? Are we declared innocent by God's grace, his undeserved favour, or by obeying God's commands? And that was the challenge. That was the the, the major challenge that Paul was facing when he wrote this uh, to the Galatians. He wanted to address that issue because... Some people had come in and he talks about it in this passage we're going to look at today and they had perverted the gospel. That's the word he used. They had perverted the gospel. They had caused um, uh, confusion about what the gospel was because they had tried to say that the law is more more important than God's grace. Justification is not a reward earned by obedience. Remember last week I talked about... uh, um, uh, uh, Obeying God's command plus faith equals salvation and we came to the conclusion that salvation is faith alone and then comes the works that God calls us to do. The uh, book of Deuteronomy and in chapter 3 of Galatians, Paul in his letter uh, refers to the book of Deuteronomy and this is what it says in Galatians 3 and verse 10. All who rely on observing the law, remember that's God's commands, are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So anybody that missed out on one of the things in God's law was cursed. So does salvation come through following the law? Does justification come through following the law? No, it's not a reward for obedience. Justification is a gift that we receive by faith. We are declared innocent in God's sight because of the faith that we place in Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, we'll come to this again. Paul writes, Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the Bible tells us the righteous will live by faith. Abraham was considered righteous because of his faith in the one true God. So we have to be careful that if we hear people saying, oh yeah, you can believe in Jesus, but you have to do this and this and this and this and this as well 
to be accepted by God, then we have to, a question mark should come up into our hearts and minds. Those who think that you can be justified by, by obedience to the law, they miscalculate something. They miscalculate the holiness of God. Because he said, if you're going to follow the law, it has to be all or nothing. Any diversion away from the law is not acceptable and no one can live that way. It's a gift received by faith. When you think about Christianity, biblical Christianity, it's it's, it's unique among all the world's religions because it's the only one that teaches God's grace towards disobedient people. It teaches that, that, that God will justify us, he'll make us innocent even when we're undeserving. Most of the other world religions, you know, think of karma or Hinduism, that uh, if you're reincarnated, you'll come back as a worse animal because of all the bad things you've done. That's pretty simplistic, I know, but that's, that's what they claim. But God's not like that. He shows his grace and mercy towards us even when we're undeserving. So what was the problem in Galatia? The Galatians' problem was that there were false teachers, I mentioned that, that they were saying that justification is faith plus works, whereas Paul wrote that justification, innocence before God, is by faith alone. We really have to cling to that because there's so many voices in our world today that are telling us all the extra things we need to do to be acceptable to God. And that's how simple it is. It's through faith in Jesus alone. Verses 6 and 7 of Galatians. We're going to go from verse 6 to the end of the chapter. So, 24 verses. We're going to go through fairly quickly. We're going to look at what Paul had to write. To declare his authority, the biography that he, he was giving them, but also to declare the true gospel that he was presenting to them. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. Uh, turning to a different gospel. I don't know that you could write it as strongly as what he wanted to say it. You know, uh, I, I sense there was some disappointment, there was some sadness, but there was some, there was some force in it as well to try and get people to sit up and take notice. To, turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all, Paul writes. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, Paul says, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. I ask the question, is that possible? I think he was exaggerating there. I don't think an angel, certainly I don't think he would, or an angel from heaven would preach another gospel other than what they've said. But he's trying to make the emphasis, this is how important what I have to say to you is, what I have to write to you is, because that's ridiculous, but if it should happen, they're going to go to hell. They're going to be eternally condemned. Verse 9 says, As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So he was putting it on the line, wasn't he? Don't listen to these people. They're taking you away from what you first heard. They're taking you away from the truth of what was preached to you. Verse 10, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So what did Paul have to say about this gospel? Is there another gospel? He says, no, there's no other gospel. There's only one gospel. And don't be sidetracked. Because they were. They're in that process. They had been 
shifting slowly away from the one true gospel. There's only one gospel. What's he say? He says in verse 6, I am astonished. Now, you could probably say that more forcefully. You know, I'm annoyed. I'm frustrated. All those sort of things. That you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by grace. He didn't beat around the bush. He went straight to the point. He said, I'm, a, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm amazed. I'm stunned that you've drifted away already. That you've turned away from the truth. And, and the Galatians were deserting what they had heard. They were deserting the one who had called them by the grace of Christ. That's an interesting word, that deserting. It's, it's, it's current. It's happening now. It's, it's a present tense. It's you are deserting the one who has called you away. It's not just that you've done it, but you're in the process of doing it. He saw it. He heard about it from those who reported to him about the, Galatia, the church in Galatia. But, you know, because it was present, because it was happening, I have no doubt that Paul sensed that there was an ability to change people's minds again and to stop them doing what they're doing and call them back to that truth. So he begins this letter, this first part of his letter, with with a real sense of urgency. Wake up, people. Listen to what I'm writing. Listen to what I'm saying so you can come back to that standard, that safe standard of the truth of the gospel. He says there, you are turning to a different gospel. And it's interesting, there's a couple of words here that are, are similar but they're just a little bit different. He said this, this different gospel, the Greek word there is heteros and it means another of a different kind. So you are turning to a, another gospel of a different kind. And the other one says here, which is really no gospel at all and that word there is alos which means another of the same kind. So, so you're turning away to a, a gospel of a different kind because it's not another gospel of the same kind, it's different altogether. So it's trying to enforce upon them some of the, the struggles that they were having. And this, what does the gospel, what does the word gospel mean in our language? What do, what do we translate that as? Breaking news? No. Good news. Good news. The gospel is good news. The difficulty is that when when law or legalism is mixed with grace, that message is no longer good, good news. When it's faith plus this action and this action and this action, it becomes bad news rather than the gospel. And that's what Paul says. And, and the difficulty is that, that when justification, when our innocence before God relies on us doing things other than trusting in God's grace, that's when it becomes a bad gospel. And that's what Paul's trying to say. He's saying that if you change the gospel, then you'll make it a false gospel. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful. And some people were doing that. Verse 7 goes on to say, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. If it's a changed gospel, it's a perverted gospel, Paul's saying. It's not the true gospel. It's not the, the simplistic Simple reality of Christ dying for our sins, being raised again for our eternal life. And these Judaizers were confusing the Galatians. They were perverting the gospel. This Greek word pervert is an interesting word. It means to turn upside down. So it's not the same gospel when it's turned upside down. You know what happens if you have a a bowl or something with our lid on it and you turn it upside down, what's it become? 
a mess. And it's perverted, it's not the original. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't turn the gospel upside down. There's a few times in the New Testament where that word is used and, and, and the Judaizers had changed the gospel into something that was totally different. Something that sounded good, but it was totally different. And I'm sure that they were sincere in what they were saying, but they were sincerely wrong. And there are people like that today that are saying things that they're sincere about, but they're sincerely wrong because they're adding to or taking away from the Word of God. What are some of the things that we need to be aware of here? We need to be aware that, that we need to be very clear of what the Gospel really is. And so Paul was saying, get back to the basics, get back to the truth. We need to be clear of what the Gospel is so that when we hear something that's a bit weird or strange, we can detect any error in it, we can, we can know the truth and we can detect that error. We have to be on guard because false teachers and sadly, I've heard it just this last week with another religious group, dare I say cult, where, where they're using terminology that I'm very familiar with when it comes to the Gospel. But what they mean by it is very different to what the Bible says. So we have to be uh, aware of that. And we have to be aware that the other implication is that pluralism is wrong. What I mean by that is that all religions are equally valid. They're not. If they move away from the Word of God and the soundness of the Word of God, the, the Gospel they preach is not the true Gospel. And we have to be careful about that. Verse 8 and 9 that he said earlier, you know, he was putting a, a little bit of... Uh, tongue-in-cheek when he said if angels could preach another gospel or if we, talking about himself and his team, could preach another gospel, that wasn't going to happen. But that's how serious it would be. It would be a a reason for eternal condemnation, Paul writes, if anybody preached another gospel. How serious is that for anybody who stands in this pulpit or leads a Bible study or opens the word of God that for us there's this... this, um, responsibility of handling God's word well. And even in our own families, even in our own Bible studies or our own devotions, we need to trust the word of God or else we could be uh, leading other people astray. So it's important, the gospel is important for Paul. That, that word eternally condemned is the Greek word anathema. You've probably heard of that before. The Greek word anathema, it's anathema. And it means being cursed, being cut off from God. Paul is saying, if anybody's preaching to you a false gospel, let him be damned, is what he's saying. Let him go to hell. Now, how seriously do we take this? I wonder what the response was from the people that were hearing that when they heard it for the first time, read out in the first time. I I think he was trying to get people to know that souls were at stake if they didn't stay true. Now, we do that too. Here's an example. If you're in an airport and you're going to get on a plane to go somewhere and uh, you're listening to some of the conversation around about you and somebody mentioned that they'd put a bomb on the plane, you did nothing about it, right? I think I'd be telling somebody. You know, if I was going to get on that plane, I think I'd be telling somebody because it's not just my life at stake, it's everybody else that's on that plane. I don't think you'd remain quiet about it You'd want to let somebody know what you'd heard so they can check it out. Paul's saying, don't be quiet about this error. Don't be quiet about this false teaching. Do something about it. Uh, I found this interesting quote this week 
The church's greatest danger is not the anti-gospel outside the church, it's the counterfeit gospel inside the church. And that counterfeit gospel is where there's been this drift away from trusting the word of God to man-made decisions and man-made rules and we have to be careful of that. So what's Paul saying? He finishes off in verse 10, he says this, that we need to be servants of Christ. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of men? The answer is no. Or am I trying to win the approval of God? The answer is, the implied answer is no. He says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So we need to be servants of Christ. And, and the gospel is, is our tool, our trade if you like, and it's not always popular with people when we share the good news of Jesus. The, uh, the Judaizers were claiming that Paul was only presenting half a gospel because he left out the law. That he was purposely trimming his message down to gain a more favourable response from his listeners. Paul denies this. He says the gospel is the most important, not the approval of men. And there's there heaps of times throughout his ministry where people challenged him. They were angry at him, at the truths that he was presenting. And I think in Corinthians he said this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he talks about, I've become all things to all men that I might win some. And then he goes on in verse 33, he says, even as I try to please everybody in every way, I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many that they may be saved. So he want, even though his gospel was hard for some to understand, he wanted to save as many as he could. Paul didn't want to hinder anybody from accepting the gospel. So he presented the gospel in a way they could understand, which is different to the, to the Jewish background, but it was the same gospel. Going on in verse... Um, and, the, and this is the life-changing gospel that he was talking about. So we're going to look at the rest of the chapter and discover the gospel that Paul was preaching and how it was a life-changing gospel. It was a gospel of grace, a message from God. God wanted people to hear this. In chapter, verse 11 and 12 he says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I didn't pick it out of the clouds and tell you a new story. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, rather I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now you and I know that Paul was anti-Jesus when he was sought. Before his conversion experience, he was against people who followed Jesus. And so when he had that experience with Jesus on the Damascus Road, Jesus taught him the gospel. Nobody else taught him. The uh, believers in, in Jerusalem at the time didn't teach him. He was, he was taught it by revelation from Christ alone. So Paul's gospel is important. The gospel that Paul preaches is important. And it's important because of this. It was not an invention. He didn't make it up. It was something that, not something that his brain had fabricated as a good story or a fable or a myth. It was something that he was, he'd been given by God. The second thing about Paul's gospel is that it wasn't a tradition. It wasn't something that he was carrying on from a past culture or a past time in his life. It was a new message, a new message of salvation. And in the remaining 16 verses of this chapter, he tries to explain that very clearly. It says in verse 16, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. And in that time in Arabia he spent 
I think it was nearly three years, alone with, with Jesus. And Jesus taught him the good news that he wanted him to share. Verse 18 says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James the Lord's brother. So he only met Peter and James. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. So Paul was, remember, it's that first couple of chapters, it's his biography, he's proving his authority, he's proving the message is true. And these are some of the verses that tell us that. So it wasn't an invention, it wasn't a tradition. Paul's gospel was a revelation from God. A revelation from Jesus Christ. It's the only way that his authority as an apostle was affirmed because Jesus spoke these words to him. And you know, I don't know about you, but if, if, if I invent a story and it's not completely true, I have to be really careful because if I tell that story again, I have to remember which parts aren't true. You ever had that problem? Yeah? Um, and so if you invent something, then you can't really enlarge it, you can't really decrease it, it has to be the same or else people won't believe it. And so for a lot of people, it's offensive to a person's pride to invent a story. Uh, we, Paul was saying, we, we are creating God's image, we've disobeyed God, we're sinners, we need a judgment. That wasn't a popular story to tell people. I think there were some people who would have been insulted by that. In fact, he goes on to say in, in some other parts of the letter to the Galatians that people were offended by what he had to say. And the reason why is because they thought his story was stupid. They thought his story was foolish. According to the gospel, the gospel that he was preaching, we can receive eternal life by trusting a man who died on a cross. How idiotic is that for the average person to believe? How idiotic is that? But prior to his conversion, Paul actually believed that. Paul would have said, that's stupid, that's idiotic. And yet here he was telling people something that they thought was foolish. And he writes about it in Corinthians. He says, for the message of the cross, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's the difference, isn't it? Faith first, grace of God first, rather than works and obedience to the commands. Verse 22 of that same passage, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. So if this was an invented story, that's all it would be. And yet it wasn't. It was a revelation from God and he had the power of God with him to explain what Christ crucified means. It's the Messiah, the Christ, the Messiah. He's the anointed one. But in his chosen and anointedness, there was also his weakness in that he was prepared to go to the cross. That would have been a foreign idea to both Jews and Gentiles alike. They couldn't have handled that because the only one that wins is the strong one in their idea, in their, in their thinking. So here this Christ crucified or this Messiah, this chosen one, this anointed one, crucified 
is foolishness. I think there are people today that think the same way. How can you believe in Jesus? He was just a man. But they haven't had their eyes open to the fact that he was the son of God who died for us, died for the world. It becomes a stumbling block. Uh, Paul wrote in Corinthians there. The the other word for that is, it's the word scandal. It becomes um, not so much a a thing that you tripped over, it becomes a story that you struggle to, uh, to understand. It becomes offensive. Is that word scandal, scandal on or scandal? And certainly foolishness uh, is described as stupidity or madness. And the Gentiles would have thought, I'm not going to listen to you, that is just ridiculous. And yet his story was one of power, his story was one of renewed life, his, his story was a personal story, but often they would have seen it as foolishness. And uh, it's a challenge for us today that we tell the story as we know it, the truth as we know it, so that people can make up their minds whether they think it's foolish or not. Today, some people claim that Paul invented Christianity. They say that his story was different to that of the Gospel of Christ. And yet, both Paul and Jesus only taught one thing, salvation through faith in Jesus alone. His story wasn't different at all. In 2 Peter, oh, I didn't put 2 Peter up there. Peter writes, Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So he was likening Paul's writings to that of the Old Testament scriptures which some people distorted to their own ends. So the gospel of grace also changes lives. That's why it's a life-changing gospel. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says, Paul writes, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. So this is his biography, remember? I was advancing in Judaism beyond my Jews, but beyond many Jews of my own age, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But... But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Anybody here have a but when God moment in their life? You know, they might have been living some way, whether it was a a superficial acknowledgement of God or whether it was no knowledge of God, but when God broke into your life, and showed you his grace and mercy and love through Jesus Christ, your life changed. It's true for me. I'm sure it's true for many of us here. It was a radical transformation of Paul's life. 180 degrees. What he was against, he was now for. But sadly, for some people, they struggle with that. Even today, some people say, if I obey the rules then I'll be acceptable to God. That's what some people are still saying. But in reality, grace says that I'm accepted by God through faith in Christ alone. Then I will obey because I want to, not because I'm made to, not because I'm forced to. And finally, the the last reason why the the, the gospel is is a living gospel is, um, I'm not sure if I put it up there. No, I missed it, sorry. 
The gospel is a grace. The power of the gospel is, is, is that we are given grace to serve, to minister. Given grace to serve or minister. Paul said that in verse 13 and 14. He'd been changed around. His ideas had been changed around so much that now he wanted to serve, not because he had to serve. And it's likened to Jeremiah in the Old Testament where Jeremiah says to God, before I, sorry, where God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Paul likens his story to that of Jeremiah's. He said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. I wonder for us, do we, do we identify with Paul that there might have been a time in our lives where we've never really trusted God completely, but then there was a but God moment and we've put our faith in Jesus alone? See, for most people, for most uh, Christians, the life-changing gospel has this track. There was a former way of life. It could have been. You could have grown up in a Christian family, a family that honoured God and you might have made a decision as a child. But at some stage in your life you said, this is how I want to live for God now, without question. I love what I've heard, I've loved what I've learned, I've responded in faith to what I've learned, but now I want to live for God. For some people... There was no sense of God in your life at all. And then there's that place of conversion where you heard the good news of Jesus, you responded in faith to him. And just like Paul, you now have a present calling. You now have a, a reason to minister, a reason to serve. I wonder if that's for you today. I wonder if you're in any one of those stages that, 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 that there might have been a mediocre faith and then there's been a moment where God has said, I want you to follow me in a specific way. And now he's opening up how you can do that, how you can serve him. For that's, that's what Paul was saying. He was against Jesus. There's this conversion moment where Jesus showed himself to Paul very really and then God, Jesus gave him this ministry to the Gentiles. So Galatians chapter 1 is all about the biography of Paul. It's all about the truth of the gospel, the real gospel. It's all about making the Galatians and us sit up and take notice to be aware of what we're listening to and hearing so we might stay true to what God's called us to. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word that's been preserved for us down the ages, that has been translated for us to, to read and to understand in our language and it's powerful because you take it by your spirit and you impact our lives, our hearts and minds with it. Lord, I pray that we will be always questioning what we hear. So if there's anything beyond this faith in Christ alone, the Father will sit up and take notice and be cautioned, and be cautioned about it. Father, I thank you that, that, that there is only one reason that we're acceptable to you and that's through faith in Christ alone. So Father, encourage us, I pray. Help us to stay, stay true to you and your word. Help us to be aware of where you're calling us to serve, just as Paul was. And Father, help us to be willing to do that when you say it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name.